Welcome to First Importance, the official podcast of the preaching and teaching ministries of First Baptist Church, West Memphis, Arkansas. Our prayer is that you will be blessed and encouraged today by this message. If you have your Bibles, would you join me in the book of Philippians in chapter 1? Today we will be looking in verses 18, the verse into verse 18 through verse 26. And the title of our message today is Keys to an Effective and Christ-like Ministry. Keys to an Effective and Christ-like Ministry. Uh, Before we dive into the text, I want to do a little encouraging first. Uh, Throughout our lives, we work exceptionally hard. We have goals of how we want to be remembered. We we work hard to show our families that we love them, right? We work hard to leave a mark on the places that we work so that it's better off than the way than when we first began. But I want you to know, my friends, that in all likelihood, should Jesus tarry, 100 years from now, no one will know your name. Real encouraging, right? A hundred years from now, regardless of all that you've done in your life and all the relationships that you've had and the wealth that you have accumulated, in all likelihood, 100 years from now, should Jesus not return between now and then, probably no one will remember that you even existed. And if they do, your name will just be a name on a page, a family tree, a name in a document. Our lives are brief. We're given just a short period of time. And with that time that we have, our goal is not necessarily in legacy making or that we be remembered but that at the end of all things, at the end of our lives, that we have entrusted our lives to the one who lives on. And because he lives on, we too may live on. Paul was not in his life thinking that other people were going to remember who Paul was. That wasn't his goal. It's not what he desired He would just assume that we forget the name Paul and exalt the name of Jesus. And all throughout Paul's teachings, as the Holy Spirit carried his pen to these papers that we now read today to pen for us God's infallible and inerrant word, while we honor the life and legacy of Paul, Paul is pointing our eyes to Jesus. And in his life, I see several keys to what it takes for us to have effective and Christ-like ministries in our lives. With a short amount of time that we have, I see keys that Paul has given to us for how we might have effective and Christ-like ministries. Let's begin at the end of verse 18 in chapter 1 of the book of Philippians. Hear now the word of the Lord. Yes, and I will rejoice. For I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance 
as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not at all be ashamed, but that with full courage now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. Would you pray with me, please? Father, we have now read your words And you know all too well my inability and my own weaknesses when it comes to proclaiming your word here today. But Father, I pray today, not not for a word from me, but Father, that your Holy Spirit would illuminate the truth of your word into the lives of your people. Father, we, we want to make our lives count. We want them to mean something. And as we entrust our lives to you, Father, we pray that that we would be used for your glory and that the name of Jesus might be exalted because of us. Father, for those who are here today who don't know you as Savior and Lord, I pray that today they would see your worth and they would surrender their life to you. Father, for those of us who are believers, I pray that we'd be drawn closer to you. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Five keys I want to give you today that Paul illustrates, that he exemplifies in his life that I want for us as God's people, I want it to be said of our lives. Number one, we see at the end of verse 18 and in verse 19, this quality of Paul's life that defined his ministry, a key to his successful and effective Christ-like ministry, and that is determined Joy, determined joy. Paul was a man who was determined as he held uh, held upon the gospel and held it close. He was a man who had determined joy. Notice what he has said here in this text. Uh, Previous to our text today, Paul has been talking about his incarceration. And there are other preachers who are using his incarceration as a means for them to get ahead. And they're glad that Paul's in prison. And that might cause some people to fret, but not Paul. Paul's not upset. Paul says in the end of verse 18, in every way, Christ is magnified, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. Now listen to him, yes, and I will rejoice. He is a man determined to hang on to that joy regardless of what things have occurred and what will occur in his life. He's holding on to that joy, and he's holding on to it tight. And it seems as if, although the world is trying to take it away with each shackle that they put on his feet and on his hands, with each uh, bruise that they put on his back, it doesn't push him away from Jesus. It doesn't rob from his joy. Rather, it intensifies his anticipation of the answer to the promise that Jesus had promised him before. Paul is a man of 
determined joy. Yes, and I will rejoice. Have you ever had your joy tested? Just me? Am I the only one? Have you ever had your joy tested? I like to consider myself a fairly joyful person. Uh, those who are closer to me may know uh, all those other weaknesses in my life. I like to consider myself a pretty joyful person, but I will say that in this year of 2023, as we have begun studying this topic of choosing joy, I have never felt such an all-out assault on the joy for my life. I mean, I'm, I'm coming to preach to you guys, and there are times when I'm like, Lord, I, I love you. I'm thankful for you. I, I feel the assault on my joy right now. And while we very easily give in, Paul was saying, no. When, when everything gets at its absolute worst, that's when the joy is magnified and it's most clearly seen and it's most clearly felt. Paul says, yes, and I will rejoice. Now, the English Standard Version, which is what I preach from, is a little bit bulky here. So let me, let me skip to the point and then I'll come back to these words that he's saying in verse 19. He says, yes, and I will rejoice for this will turn out for my deliverance. So in the English Standard Version, it says, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. He's rejoicing because he knows that no matter what he goes through, it's gonna turn out for his deliverance. Now, theologians look at this and they, they interpret it in two different ways. Some would say that Paul is exclusively here speaking of the situation that he's in, the jail that he's in, being shackled to a Roman guard. He knows that this, this particular situation that he's in is not going to end in his death. And I think that the rest of this passage bears out that that is true. But I also think on a greater scale, what Paul is saying here is that he is joyful. He has joy because he knows that no matter what, he's going to be delivered. The word for deliverance here is, in the Greek, the same word used for salvation. Paul knows uh, that truth to that song that we have so often sang in this church, this joy that I have, the world didn't give it to me. Oh, this joy that I have, the world didn't give it to me. Let me, let me say it again, this joy that I have, the world didn't give it to me, the world didn't give it, and the world can't take it away. He knows that no matter what happens in his life, the worst thing that they can do to him is the best thing that can happen to him. He knows that deliverance is the end of his story, that Jesus has paid the ultimate cost. He has made the ultimate payment, the highest payment for his sin. Jesus has rose from the grave, and he has offered him eternal life. And so whatever temporary difficulties Paul has to go through, he doesn't have to get rid of that joy. It's not accidental joy. It's not incidental joy. It's determined joy. And I wonder what would happen in our lives as believers if we had that same perspective. Now, I'm preaching to me. Now, I'm preaching to Josh Hall, and if you, it happens to hit you as well. Those moments when you feel most like you have no joy, you remember not the things that you have in life, but you remember your deliverance. 
Remember how God has saved you. Remember how God will save you. Now, Paul says here, yes, and I will rejoice, verse 19, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. He knows that this horrible situation that he has been put into has only increased the prayer life of the Philippian church. He knows that when God's people call upon God, God's ears perk up. He listens to the call of his people. As we learned last week, if we will humble ourselves and pray and seek his face and turn from our wicked ways, what will he do? He will hear. He will forgive. He will heal. Paul says, I know that this is an inconvenience, and, and perhaps I, I know Paul would say, I don't like the feel of these chains around my arms. I don't like the feel of these chains around my legs. I don't like the lack of privacy. I don't like all of these things. But there's a great joy built up in my heart knowing that God is, through my affliction, causing your prayer life to increase. He's causing you to, to pray for me. Doesn't it make you feel good to know that other people are praying for you? Now, it's often the case in Baptist circles that we say, we're going to pray for you, and then what happens? You don't ever pray for them, right? It happens. It happens to all of us. Maybe you, you get distracted. Maybe you say, I'm going to pray for you, and you really intend to. Uh, I, I've met people in my life who are much more disciplined in it than I am, but if they say they're going to pray for you, they're going to stop, and they're going to do it right then and right there, which is not a bad practice for us to start. But doesn't it make you feel good? Doesn't it encourage your heart to know that other believers are praying for you? That's why we're to lift up one another in prayer. Paul says, I know that God is going to use your prayers and that by the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this, this will turn out for my deliverance. He knows ultimately where his help comes from. His help uh, although he's thankful for the prayers, he knows ultimately his help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. And so he's filled with joy. He is determined to have joy. And so I would say, my friends, this week, if you want to have an effective ministry, this week when the enemy convinces you that you have nothing to be joyful about, remember Jesus. Paul is a man of determined joy like Jesus, who the Bible says, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. Now, I have no reason to believe that from the Scripture we should say that the cross was uh, a pleasant experience for Jesus, but his obedience to his Father, his love for us, made that a joy for him to take on the cross for us. What an example has been set for us. What would happen in your life this week if you had determined joy? But he goes on in verse 20. Another defining key of Paul's ministry is not just determined joy, but eager expectation. Before we read verse 20, if I could ask you, what is something that you look forward to? What is something that, that I mean, it's, it's the reason you wake up in the morning. Uh, it's the reason that at the end of a long day, you, I mean, you're, just, you're waiting on this. You're anticipating this. If you could have one wish, what would this be? 
uh, for, for some of you, maybe it'd be to, to increase your salary or to, uh, or to win the, well, we don't, we don't, we're good, smart, wise Baptist people. We don't, we don't play the lottery. But for some distant family member to have passed away and left you a lot of money, maybe you, you're anticipating your ship to come in, right? What are things that you anticipate? If you could have one wish granted, what would it be? Now, Paul is going to tell us right here. And he uses a couple of words. He says, eager uh, expectation. Now, the, the Greek for that makes this word even more cool. So the breakdown of that word talks about the front of the head and imagination. So what's at the forefront of your mind? What is what you, uh, what you, what is you, what you imagine, what you're looking forward to? And then he combines that with the word hope. So what he's saying is this, if I could have any wish granted in my life, this is what it is. What, what is it? Verse 20. As it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not at all be ashamed. Wow. Paul could have one wish. It wouldn't be to be out of that, out of those shackles. It wouldn't be to be on a beach somewhere away from everybody. It wouldn't be for all of the, the money in the world. What did he say? It's my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed. He knows what's in his own fragile human flesh. Our tendency is to be timid in all the wrong areas and to be bold in all of the wrong areas. Paul knows his own tendency to be timid. And his prayer, his hope, his expectation, everything at the forefront of his mind, his wish is that through all of these trials, he will not be ashamed. He says it later in the, in the book of Romans, for I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, for it is the power of God for salvation to the Jew first, then also to the Greek. Paul says, it is my, my biggest wish come true that I will not at all be ashamed, but that with full courage now as always, Christ will be honored in my body whether by life or by death. Now you wonder what makes Paul's faith different from our faith. And this is one of them. What is something that you, what's your greatest wish? What's your greatest desire? We would list things. Paul would say, I just want God to be glorified in my body. Whether by life or by death, I want to courageously live for him. So I'm going to ask you a question. This isn't just preacher talk. Is that your eager anticipation, expectation in your life? Is that your hope? That with every, that with every opportunity and in every day, God would get glory in your life, that he would give you courage that you would be courageously living for him. It's Paul's eager expectation. It's on the forefront of his mind. And so if you want to have an effective and Christ-like, Christ-exalting ministry, we ought to have the same anticipation and expectation of our lives. 
Paul says, it's my eager expectation and hope that I will not at all be ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or death. Now, we had him on that first part. Okay, I pray that God would be honored in my life. But we've read some stories, haven't we? So being, Christ being honored in our death could be a very painful experience can be a very humiliating experience. Paul says, it's my hope, my biggest wish, my prayer and my determination that Christ will be honored in my body. What's your eager expectation? Number three, not only does Paul, is Paul's ministry defined by his determined joy, his eager expectation, but in verses 21 through 22, it's defined by his impassioned purpose. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. If, if I were to ask that question to you, for me to live is blank. How would you answer that question? For you to live is, what, what do you live for? What keeps you going? Uh, you Maybe seen on the back of uh, vehicles, salt life, or hey, we live to do this, we live to do that in our lives. What do you live for? Paul is saying here, Philippian church, you need to understand something. First Baptist Church of West Memphis, who's going to read this many years in the future, you need to understand something. Jesus isn't a hobby to me. He's not some part-time uh, a thing that I look at. I'm not just fascinated with him. To me, Jesus is life. It's not just that he provides life. It's that in my every waking moment, I, I think about him. I want to commune with him. I want to I be with him in his word. I want to be with him in prayer. Paul says, for to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. Verse 22, if I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me, yet which I shall choose I cannot tell. He says, in my life, with what life I have left, I want it to be filled with his fruit. He is a man of impassioned purpose. And the problem with the church and with believers today is, we're, if we were to answer the question, for me to live is, we would put, for to me to live is self. Right? For to me to live is self. And you say, Josh, that's a little harsh, but... Everything we do is about our own comfortability. Everything we do is about what makes us feel good, what makes us feel right. Even sometimes you can use church attendance and doing good things in place of who Jesus is. You can do good things for the wrong reasons, right? To make yourself feel better. Paul said that his, in, his purpose in life, his life is Jesus. And a lot of believers today are living purposeless lives because they're concentrated on all the wrong things. Jesus was enough to save them from hell, but not enough to live for each and every day. Maybe he's enough for you to go to church on Sundays or enough for you to go to church on Wednesdays. Maybe he's enough for you to show up for a, a prayer meeting out of the blue. 
on that business decision, Jesus, you're going to have to stand off to the side. For to me, to live is self. Paul says, for to me, to live is Christ. He's a man of impassioned purpose. What is your purpose? Are you living for Jesus? Do you long for your life to be filled with his fruit, with his righteousness? Paul's ministry is defined by his impassioned purpose. Now, look with me in verse 23. It's defined by a heavenly hunger. He says, I'm hard-pressed between the two. That's between life and death. I'm hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to, de to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. Paul's life was marked by a heavenly hunger. Ever since that day when he was on his way to Damascus to kill a bunch of Christians and to put them in prison, he was blinded and he heard a voice from heaven. It was Jesus saying, Paul, Paul, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And ever since that moment, every moment of Paul's life was in an in anticipation of finally putting a face to the name, of finally putting the face to the words. He had heard his voice, but he longed to see him. He longed to be with him. Yes, for me to live is Christ, but to die is gain. I don't know which one I want. I'm hard-pressed between the two, he says. He longs to be in heaven with Jesus. I believe uh, the church has lost the desire to be with Jesus. We've lost the perspective that when we leave this earth, that God is good for his word. And if we have turned from our sins and confessed Jesus as Lord, to be absent from this body is to be present with the Lord. What a wonderful, glorious truth. And yet we cling to the things of this world. Paul had a heavenly hunger. I'm hard-pressed between the two. He says, my desire is to depart. That word depart is, is kind of like way anchor. He's, he's ready to, to jump off of the shore of this world and to go and to be with Jesus. I've heard people say, yes, I'm ready to go see Jesus, but I'm not in a hurry. Well, listen, you shouldn't be careless, okay? You shouldn't do anything that, that causes harm to you or to others. But as believers, we long to see Jesus, and we are in a hurry to see him. If I said, if I was gone for a couple weeks on a mission trip and I'd called Sarah every day and said, I can't wait to see you, I can't wait to be home and to be home with you and the kids, but mostly, sweetheart, I can't wait to just hug you and be in your presence again. And then I got home and I said, hey, Sarah, it's going to be about another week, right? Or what if I just said, Sarah, I cannot wait to see you, but I'm not in a hurry. Right? What would happen? Well, she's a godly woman, so nothing bad would happen, of course. 
strike me from this pulpit. Of course, that's ridiculous. I love her, so I want to be with her. I want to see her. Her pictures, not enough. I remember being away from it for a year and, 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 and having those pictures overseas. And I'd look at, I'd look, there's Sarah, and there's us at a, a Bible study at First Baptist BB, and here's us out on a date. But uh, it wasn't the same as being with my, my wife, who I loved, who I love. And Paul's here is saying, I, I want to be with him. I want to see Jesus. He has my heart. I want to be in his presence forever and ever in that place where there's no sin or death. He has a heavenly hunger. Finally, I want you to see in verses 24 through 26, there's a selfless service. Selfless service. Now, we're going to dive into this text, and we'll be, we'll be quick. But this is, this is what got me, and this was the reason that I wasn't able to to preach this last week because we all read this passage and we say, wow, wow, look at Paul's faith. Paul has a faith worth dying for. And it's almost as if what kept being impressed upon my heart, I'd read it and I'd read it and I'd read it and I'd pray and I'd pray and I'd pray and I'd read it again and it's almost as if what was just impressed upon my heart is that that's not what exclusively he is saying here. What he's saying here is not that Paul has a, a faith worth dying for, but that Paul has a faith worth living for. That when the best option that is laid before him is to go and to be with Jesus, to be out of the pain of this life, out of the thorns of the flesh, away from all these wicked people who hate Jesus and who hate Paul, when given the opportunity to desire that, uh, when given the opportunity to pick between that and serving people, Paul said, I know I'm going to stay here and serve you and help you. Well, of course, Paul has a faith that's worth dying for, but what he's really saying here is I have a faith worth living for. And because I have a faith worth living for, God has given me a faith worth dying for. He says in verse 24, but to remain in the flesh is far more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. What is he saying here? He's putting his preferences to the side, and he's choosing what is best for the church. He's choosing what is best for his brothers and sisters. He's practicing what he preaches, outdoing one another in showing honor, preferring others over himself, Paul is saying, I know that my ultimate goal is to be delivered from this, but until then, I know that with all, every bit of my life, I'm going to live a selfless and a sacrificial life. Of course, that's in contrast to us. We can be pretty selfish, can't we? And very demanding. A hundred years from now, Perhaps if Jesus tarries, no one will know our names. But there is a book 
which will record names. The Bible speaks of the Lamb's book of life. And anyone whose name is written in the Lamb's book of life, their name will not be forgotten. They will live forever and ever in heaven in the presence of Jesus. And those names that are written in the Lamb's book of life will be those people who have turned from their sins and who have turned to Jesus, who've confessed their sins, repented of their sins, and they've called upon Jesus as Savior and Lord. Do you want to outlive this 100 years? Do you want to outlast all these things? My friends, do you want to have an effective and Christ-like ministry Paul here shows us how to live with determined joy, with eager expectation, with impassioned purpose, with heavenly hunger, and with sacrificial and selfless service. I'm so thankful to serve a God who did the same thing, right? Jesus left heaven's throne he humbled himself, took on our flesh, took on our sorrows, took on our burdens. And when you think that the dirty should have made the clean unclean, what happened is the clean came, took on our flesh, and he made the dirty clean. And he offers to you today, if you will turn from your sins and if you will turn to him, he offers to you eternal life. My prayer to you today is that you will receive that. Thank you for listening to First Importance. It is our prayer that you have been blessed by this podcast. We welcome you to join us in person for worship at First Baptist West Memphis on Sundays at 1045 a.m., where our desire is to love God, care for one another, and share the gospel.